0: Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zernial, our co-host, is on special assignment, so I will be flying solo without her today. We wish her well, and we'll catch her again next week right here on 930 AM, The Answer. Those of you who are listening who are caregivers for someone who has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease or some other form of dementia, or who are caring for someone who may have a disease that is debilitating and has the risk of uh, turning into something resembling Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia, you're going to want to listen to this segment as we talk with Gene McKesh. Uh, Gene is the co-founder of the Founder and CEO of The Lantern Group. It's a state-of-the-art award-winning Alzheimer's care facility in Madison, Ohio. He hangs out in a beautiful place outside of Cleveland, Chagrin Falls, where if you haven't been there, you probably want to get a chance to drive there. It is a fabulous place to live and to work, and what a great place uh, to have a business. So we're delighted to welcome Gene to Caregiver SOS On Air. Gene, I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you, Ron. I'm very happy to be here.
0: Tell us about the Lantern Group and what you all are all about.
1: Um, Lantern is an assisted living facility. Um, what we do for a living, that's, that's what we claim on ourselves, what we do for a living is we take care of uh, our elderly clients, clients uh, uh, with uh, cognitive deficits and also clients without cognitive deficits. So, We currently have three facilities, one in um, Madison, Ohio, the second one in Saybrook, Ohio, and a third one in Chigrin Falls, Ohio. And all all the three facilities, they have both uh, a general regular assisted living facility and also uh, a space dedicated for uh, individuals with uh, Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia.
0: And what are you doing different than other centers may not be up
1: to yet? Uh, Well, um, one of the things, uh, what we do is uh, it's a little different from others. Um, The reason being is uh, we felt that if we continue to provide care the way we have been providing the last 20 years or 25 years or 30 years, Um, I think, personally, it's my humble opinion and my staff's opinion that uh, we are really not doing um, anything good for our clients. Uh, What I mean by that is um, when you care for someone, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, an elderly with uh, Alzheimer's disease. Uh, There are about seven stages, stage one through stage seven. And as the client progresses through the stages of the disease, essentially what happens, Ron, is they they decline. They lose their ability uh, to care for self and care for others. Um, They also lose uh, basic cognitive skills. So essentially as they progress from one stage to another, stage one being uh, normal, stage two being uh, normally it's forgetfulness stage three being mild cognitive impairment. As they progress through the stages, essentially what happens is they decline in their ability to perform their activities of daily living. And um, you know there are two things. We, 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 we as caregivers we have an option. We can care for them as they progress through the disease process and I think that's what we've been doing the last 20 years, 25 years. Or We as care providers, we go a step further and see if there's any way, anything that we can do to enable our clients to be independent with their activities of daily living. And and that's exactly what we do here uh, in in all three facilities. Um, You know, I, I, I happen to, one of the things that I do is when I work, travel to my buildings, I really have, have uh, take time to hang out with my clients, and everything that we, we have done in the last five years is not something that, you know, I'm a genius and I came up with this plan or, or this idea, essentially what I did was I spent time listening and understanding uh, my clients' uh, desire, their preference, uh, essentially what is it they're looking for, what is it they would desire for. Rather than you know people around them deciding what is good for them,
0: and I'm assuming and there's no is, there's no one size fits all.
1: No, absolutely not, absolutely not. And and uh, and I just felt that uh, you know the more I, as I was listening to them, I mean truly, I mean, there are books out there um, talks about the uh, how to care for for an elderly client. Uh, and, and one, what I found was what you read most on those books, um in those books and what my clients tell, taught, taught me the last five years. I mean, I saw a huge, uh, I mean, uh, there was a gap. Um, and then I started telling myself, you know, did anyone live up to 92, 95 and then wrote a book? Or is it something, you know, it was purely based on interviews? And my clients started teaching me how to care for them. So let me take you through the process here a little bit, if you if you
0: allow me. All right, now hold that. Um, We're going to let folks know if they've just joined us. They're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zernial, our co-host, is on special assignment today. So it is just moi, along with Gene McCash. He's talking to us from Chagrin Falls, Ohio, where he and his organization, the Lantern Group, have three assisted and uh uh, living centers, and including centers that help those with Alzheimer's disease, and he's talking about their unique approach to providing that kind of care. So go ahead, Gene, the floor is yours.
1: Thanks, Ron. So this is what happened, Ron, about seven years ago. Um, I want to say, yes, about seven or eight years ago, I had a client, uh, and at that time we were uh, only taking care of um, um, elderly um just, just regular elderly population, not anyone with Alzheimer's or dementia. Uh, and um, what happened was the clients that have lived with me for about three or four years, uh, they started manifesting symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. And this one particular client, every evening around 5, 5.30, she wants to go home. And she was about, I want to say about 92 years old. And she wants to go home. And I would ask her, in the beginning, I would ask her, you know, Norma, What do you want to go home? And she would say, she would tell me, she wants to go see her mom. And I'm sitting there here thinking, she's 92, and do I do a a reality orientation with her, or do I just listen to her? And what is going on? And this doesn't happen in the morning or in the afternoon. It happens in the evenings. And uh, then I had another client, um, Walter. He would walk down the corridor every single evening, around seven, seven thirty, asking for breakfast. Uh, he just had dinner around 5, 5.30, and he would, every single day, and I said, you know, how can I help these people? How can I help these individuals? Is there a way I can reset their clock? Uh, is there a way I could, uh, without telling them, if there's a way, if I could change the surroundings around them that would trigger and stimulate the way they would uh, think? So that gave rise to... Um, uh, a new design, you know, we call that, uh, it, it's a virtual sky feeling, where we created uh, a, a virtual sky feeling where the sun rises and the sun sets. What I mean by that is, uh, the light pattern, uh, the virtual sky feeling uh, that we have currently in two of our new buildings, it's all LED. Essentially what happens is, it actually follows the light scheme outside. So essentially, it, you know, the light comes on in the morning, and as we progress through the day it gets brighter and brighter and towards the evening it fades and it becomes darker um and i, I thought maybe you know that would help them understand that maybe it's time for there's a, there's a time to do everything it's time for breakfast time for lunch time for dinner time to go to bed things like that so creating that virtual capsule um at that time i thought it was a a, a good idea but I, little did I know that, how it would impact and help our clients. Um, so that's how we started. We started, uh, we created a time capsule. And one, as you see the clients, as they progress from one stage to another, essentially what happens is they revert back to the early childhood days. So as they progress from stage one through stage seven, they're kind of flipping, not not physically, but cognitively, you know, uh, they are either a four-year-old or a ten-year-old or a fifteen-year-old or a twenty-year-old. So all of a sudden, I'm engaging with a client. I'm caring for a client that ha- is uh, remembers something from 1930s and 1940s. Uh, they could be residing very well uh, in one of our facilities, but all of a sudden, they're all talking about their experiences. Uh, of, you know, when they were as a child living in West Virginia or down somewhere in Texas. So, now, isn't that pretty uh, typical
0: if, for those with uh, Alzheimer's uh, dementia that they they can recapture those older memories?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I felt that if there's a way that I can find, uh, I can remove the, the conflicts that triggers. Because lot many times, who we are uh, and what we do and how we carry ourselves. You know, our attitude and our posture in a given space is purely and directly driven by the triggers. I call them uh, the stimulus that we we receive from the environment. If there is a way that I could remove, you know, as many conflicts, as many triggers as possible to facilitate, you know, uh, uh, undesired emotions like such as anxiety or depression or uh, any conflicts uh, which may give rise to combativeness and agitation. Um, that would really help them uh, come in terms with the, with the environment. So we created the virtual uh, sky ceiling, and we started building uh, the units very similar to homes that resembled the architecture in 1930s and 1940s. One of the things I also realized for my client, they started sort of teaching me, is they're under constant conflict uh, when they are living in a facility that looks like a hotel or an institution they are able to able to relate to the space that they are in. So why sh- why do I want to subject them to conflicts? Instead, if I create something that they can relate to, that they can you know uh, uh, experience and engage with, uh, I just felt that that could help. Me or help them, help me help us care for them much more efficiently and effectively, and help them uh, participate in the care that we provide. So uh, we decided to do that. Uh, All right, now hold that thought. Uh, gonna, hold that
0: thought. We're going to come right back to you, and, and pick it up from there as you have identified what may be a step you can take to provide a little more comfort. Uh, and a little less uh, negative stimulation in the lives of some of your residents in the Lantern Group facilities. I'm Ron Aaron. We're talking with Gene McCash. He's out in Chagrin Falls, Ohio. Our regular co-host, Carol Zernial, on special assignment today. So it is just moi and our technical director, Roland Ruiz, flying solo today. <laughs> It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010.
2: Has it really been that long that we've been together? Dr. Robin
0: Eikoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio.
2: What a terrific ride it's been.
0: And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything.
2: We've talked about medical issues. We've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on.
0: You name a disease, and we've covered it, uh, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones.
2: Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate but that. But I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach.
0: So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff. we come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 930 a.m. The Answer. Well, thank you so much for being with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel, our regular co-host on Special Assignment. And while this program is being recorded before we know the results of the first couple of games in the World Series, my best wishes go out to the Cleveland Indians Go Tribe Go. Uh, They are opening at home, and what an incredible night it will be uh, in that stadium. And I want to wish Cubbies fans the very best as well. 71 years, the last time the Cubs... We're in a World Series for the Cleveland Indians. The last time they won was 1948. Lou Boudreau at shortstop. What a great, great team that was. And uh, we're going to... Well, gee, here we are reminiscing, talking about memories. That's exactly what we're talking about with our special guest, Gene McCash, who was in Chagrin Falls, Ohio, about 45, 50 miles from the stadium. We're going to see if he's going to be there tonight. He is the uh, CEO of the Lantern Group, and we're talking about caring for seniors and those with dementia as well. I'm Ron Aaron. So, Gene, you going to the ball game tonight?
1: Well one actually. No, I'm not. Uh, Hopefully tomorrow, but I do have the tickets for the Cavs game tonight.
0: Oh, the Cavs are playing as well?
1: Yes, they are playing the Knicks. It's the opener.
0: They play right next to each other.
1: Right, right. Absolutely. It's going to be so much fun and a lot of excitement. And What what
0: do you do for parking down there with both the Indians and the Cavs going head-to-head?
1: Well, I have an idea. I'm not sure if it's going to work out. I may have to park somewhere far and maybe take, a, take an Uber down to the stadium.
0: Well, that's not a bad idea. So we were talking about adjusting uh, the environment for folks who are living in your facilities, uh, and very much like we are reminiscing, at least I was, about the 1948 Cleveland Indians. Uh, you found that uh, maybe if you changed... Uh, the the environment, the lighting, the visual effects uh, of your facilities, it might be beneficial for your clients. Uh, so how did that work out?
1: Well, uh, Ron, we the, the 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 first facility that we opened uh, that was in Madison, Ohio, it, uh, we opened in two thousand and eleven, and we've seen some phenomenal, phenomenal outcomes. I mean, I was blown away. Um, I really was not expecting. Um, you know, to the extent that I that, that, that we all have observed within our organization the last um, uh, five years or so, the environment does play a, a huge role in, in um, uh, the, the, the client's uh, posture and attitude. Uh, one of the things I do want to mention real quick is that we also felt that we as uh, humans, we do very, very, very well with nature and i felt that bringing nature from the outside to the inside could be meaningful and could be purposeful for that so we added uh, water features and plants uh, with flowers and um uh, pergolas and gazebos and, and things like that mm-hmm. uh, in one of the facilities one of the uh, facilities that we have down in chagrin uh, what i did was i took it one step further where we designed the building in such a way that the client actually can see their neighbors from the living room or from the bedroom. So usually when you stay in a hotel or a resort, you have to step out to see your neighbor. Or if the the hotel room has a patio or a porch, you'll be able to step out and see your neighbor. Uh, I designed the building in such a way that you don't have to do that. Again, giving the client the impression and the feeling that they, going back to 30s and 40s, they're not locked down. They are still able to engage with the Environment outside, they're able to engage with a neighbor um, that lives uh, right next door. Um, uh, we felt that could be could add therapeutic value. Now, again, waterfalls you know, in it's a it's a, a H2O, two molecules of hydrogen, one molecule of oxygen. So when the water hits the ground, it splits a, and 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 gives rise to negative ions. And negative ions are good for us. It helps us relax. It soothes us. Um, a lot of good, good, good um, value uh, uh, the water feature brings in, uh, you know, to to our lives. I, uh, you look at plants. Plants give out oxygen. They take in carbon dioxide, which is very good. We need oxygen. So, creating that outside environment, bringing the outside environment inside with the butcher sky ceiling, and the moon and the stars in uh, in the night. Um, having porch lights and making the homes, uh, the units look like an actual home with, with gutter and catwalk and, and you name it, really, really enables them and gives them a sense of integration in, um, in, in the space that they are in. So doing that, that really helps me to actually engage with them in a much more meaningful way. Um, just, just, you know, 25 years ago, Ron, 20, 25 years ago, you know, I'm I'm am an occupational therapist. That's you know what I went to school for. I'm I'm, I'm you know that's my profession. Uh, and 25 years ago, individuals with multiple sclerosis, um, motor neuron disease, ALS, uh, Parkinson's, and even some acute stroke, they were not able to reintegrate back into their community. Um, but today they can. And when you look at those diseases, besides stroke, I mean, if you look at uh, modern neurone disease, multiple sclerosis, ALS, and Parkinson's, and they're all neurological. None of them actually have a cure. You sit back and wonder, okay, well, if they can go back and reintegrate back into the community today, why can't my clients with Alzheimer's and some form of dementia do the same? It's a wild thought. It's a lofty thought. And that really, really started pushing me and bothering me. I said, if those individuals don't go back, why can't my clients go back? So I went back and started reading Neuroanatomy again, trying to understand uh, how the neural networks are, are, are in the brain and, and understand the system, the physiology, the pathology, anatomy. Uh, and, and what I found was I mean, it was amazing. It was amazing. And I started doing a lot of research, and what I learned was, and this is something caregivers can even do at home, what I learned was, if, a, if we learn a task, we have it doesn't matter, we have, no matter how old we are, we have the ability to create new neural networks in our brain which is called neuroplasticity. There's also evidence of neurogenesis um, uh, lately, uh, and I'm, I'm I'm sitting back and thinking, how do I leverage on this if we know that the clinical diagnosis uh, is made purely based on one's ability to, ability to perform their ADL functions and basic cognitive skills. Yes, uh, there's nothing I can do uh, as, as a client progresses from stage one through stage seven. But if there's a way, I can, make, I can enable them to perform their ADL skills and basic cognitive skills. Yes, the disease is progressive, but what have I done functionally? What have I done functionally? I have, I have, I have increased their independence. And, and, and that's when it, it struck me. See, a disease or a condition is a problem if it does one of, the, one of the two things. Either it kills us, or it impairs our ability to care for ourselves, or for care for people around us. If I'm, even though I have the disease, if I'm able to perform those ADL functions, if I'm able to care for myself, Essentially, I'm I'm independent. I'm able to do things on my own. You're talking about activities
0: of uh, daily living. By the way, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zernial, our co-host on special assignment today. So it is me and our special guest, Gene McKesh. He is with the Lantern Group, CEO of the organization, has three Uh, Alzheimer and uh, independent or uh, assisted caregiving facilities in Ohio. And we're talking about his approach to what he believes is a unique alternative design to these facilities. And you're talking about trying to help folks who have uh, all been given up in terms of their ability to handle activities of daily living. And you're suggesting uh, you can help them recapture that ability.
1: Absolutely, Alan, absolutely. There's, there's a reason why, it's, uh, why I think it can be done. Um, for, for we as humans, for us to learn a task, we have to repeat that task. We have to do the same task over and over. It's called as errorless learning. should be no error, no distraction. It has to be done over and over, same time, over and over, again and again, about 150 times. And for us to create and establish a neural pathway, a neural network, it has to be repeated at least 400 times, anywhere from 400 to 450 times. And let's say, let's talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, let's talk about um, uh, teaching a client to uh, put their shirt on. It has to be done 150 times. <clears throat> In addition, it has to be done 300 more times to create the neural network. So that's 400 to 450 times. Let's say that, you know, even if we do it three times a day, we're looking at close to a little over four months to master the task. A doctor cannot do that in the clinic. A therapist cannot do that in the clinic. It can be only done by caregivers. If my caregivers, if they do the same thing over and over, uh, in all their shifts, let's say we're working on upper body dressing, we, we, we do a task analysis, we do a, a, a task breakdown, and the caregivers are asked to follow the same steps every single time. So they do it three times a day. In addition, what happens is we actually, we came up, the, the, the name of the program is called S V A Y U S. What we did was we said we, got, we gotta we gotta go beyond caregiving. We gotta go beyond caregiving because if we continue to provide care, all we are doing is just you know keeping them comfortable and helping them through the process and waiting them to, waiting for them to die. And I don't think that's that's what you and I signed up for. You know, when I'm ninety 95 years old, when I retire, I really wanna enjoy my life. And and if what we did was we let's say we have a client, we have a, a group of twenty clients. We break them into four to six groups. The smallest group can be uh, uh, it can be two two client group. It can be up to six to eight client group. I would not encourage anyone to do a group with more than six or eight. Clients. All right, now tell us more the about
0: group. that in just a minute. We're going to take a little uh, pause here and come right back to you as we talk with Jane uh, McCash. I heard him say he wants to work till he's ninety five or ninety nine years old. Go for it, guy. That wouldn't be so bad. Work till you're 95 or 99 as long as you have your faculties and your abilities. I'm Ron Aaron talking with Gene McKesh. He is, by training and occupational therapy, a specialist, a master's degree in occupational therapy, also has a master's degree in business administration, and we're talking to Gene McKesh from Chagrin Falls, Ohio, where he serves as CEO of the Lantern Group, three uh, Alzheimer's and assisted living facilities uh, in Ohio, so you were talking about repetitive teaching, repetitive teaching. So uh, I'm assuming muscle memory takes over.
1: Absolutely, you know, hippocampus is responsible for new creating new memories. There's a there's a, a there's a memory model called sensory motor procedural habituation. It's called SMPH, and there's been a lot of research done on this particular model. You know, there's a lot of information coming out of Ohio State regarding this uh, memory model. Essentially what this model says says is you don't really need hippocampus to learn a new task. You can actually bypass the hippocampus and directly go to the muscle. And and it can, uh, a newer task can be learned. So essentially for me to make that happen, for for us to see that happen, it has to be done by caregivers. Um, I kind of borrowed this model from daycare. See, in in a daycare industry, what happens is when a child goes uh, every morning the child is not only cared for by the caregivers the child is also educated and trained and they' under and they're get they're, what they do is they get the child ready for kindergarten so it's a it's a combination of education training and caregiving and I looked at our industry I said why can't we do the same thing why are we just providing care why can't why can't we incorporate activities, learning, uh, as part of um, caring. So, and that kind of inspired and motivated uh, me to create this, uh, uh, the the Swiss the, model, where we have clients actually, in the, you know, from morning nine o'clock until 5 p.m. They are part of different groups and they engage in activities, they engage in exercises, and they engage in learning. And we do a lot of reminiscence therapy. We also do a lot of physical activity and physical exercise.
0: Now, what's been the response so of your been,
1: staff? In, in the beginning, Ron, in 2011, I'm not kidding, we struggled. We struggled a lot because the caregivers are trained, they're educated to only provide care. They're not trained to, you know, to do any form of treatment like activities and exercises and things like that. And what I did was, I pulled all my caregivers. I asked all my caregivers to, you know, come into a meeting with me. And I, and I, 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 this is what I told them. I said, "Please try this for a month. And if you don't like it, and if you don't find it useful, you know, I will abandon this whole care model, and we will start, we will go back, and start providing care the way we did in the past." And when well, so they did try it for about thirty days, and when we got together. I mean, my caregivers were in tears. I mean, they had no idea that they had the ability to treat someone with Alzheimer's disease, which neither I had, nor my physicians had, nor my therapists had. When they started seeing their clients able to dress themselves, bathe themselves, and they were in awe. They go like, oh my gosh, there's so much I can do. Yes, I could be making $9 an hour, $10, $11, $12 $10, 11 12 dollars an hour but there's so much I can do for my clients and essentially now lot caregivers actually are literally fighting to work in that unit because they, they want to be engaged and one of the things I realized was when you give a purpose and a reason for any human and and and, and they're able to realize and, uh, and, and and see it in their own eyes it just inspires and motivates them so um, it has worked for us uh, so far, And I truly believe that moving forward we should kind of stay kind of move away from just caregiving alone. We've got to find a way to incorporate the 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 treatment element. And it has to be done by caregivers. And the caregivers have the power and the ability to impact the elderly. Now when you say
0: caregivers, you're talking about your health care workers in the facility or are you talking about spouses, kids who are caring for Alzheimer's patients at home?
1: I, I, it's, I, it's everyone. It's everyone, Ron. It's everyone. That the most important thing is, you know, what happens is clients, individuals, when they're cared for at home, they decline. And I always say this, when, when, when a client is not able to do something, make the, encourage the client to do that. And that's the only way you can create neuroplasticity. You have to constantly stimulate the brain. The brain has the ability to self-repair itself. The only thing is we have to give the brain a chance. Not many times we are not able to provide the brain an opportunity for a couple of reasons. Number one, there are other comorbid conditions that that kind of discourages from you know giving the brain an opportunity. It so there be other diseases
0: die- they may have?
1: Correct, exactly. Uh, or what happens is, they, they as the client starts declining, they are not no one is really encouraging them to actually have them do what they are not able to do. One of the things we've started seeing doing seeing with, with our frontal temporal dementia clients they lose it pretty they, uh, they have um, uh, issues related with speech and how do you motivate them to speak? because what happens is when you're not able to speak, when you are having difficulty with speaking, that is something that you don't want to do. The key is to avoid disuse atrophy. The other thing is to create a cognitive reserve, create a cognitive reserve. All right, hold that thought. Hold that
0: thought for a minute. For folks just joining us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Gene McKesh. We're talking about uh, an innovative way to work with uh, Alzheimer and other dementia patients. And what I thought I heard you say uh, is that uh, through non-use uh, you create a deficit that gets even worse.
1: Absolutely, one. Absolutely, we we call in medical industry you know, we call it uh, disuse atrophy.
0: Disuse if you don't atrophy. Use, you
1: lose. Disuse atrophy. Right. And uh, if you don't use, you lose. You know. And uh, so I'll give you an example. Okay. and uh, Let me talk a little bit about cognitive reserve. It's such an important thing, especially. Uh, clients with early stages of uh, dementia or some form of dementia or Alzheimer's disease. Uh, if you take, let's say, you have a hundred square uh, a, a space that's about hundred square feet. Okay. If you pour the water in one corner, by the time the water trickles down to the other side, other end, it takes about maybe ten minutes. Let's say that. Let's do the same thing with uh, in a space that's about two thousand square feet when you do the same thing, it's going to take more than 10 minutes for the water to travel from the one end to the other end. The key thing is for us to create, we have to increase our brain size. We have to increase our reserve, cognitive reserve. See, when we get affected by the disease, there's nothing we can do to stop the progression of the disease. However, if we increase the size of the human brain, what happens is the disease is going to progress. However, we have other neurons, other neural networks the coolest thing about human brain is the coolest thing about human brain is there's over two hundred billion neurons. There are over three trillion synapses, connections. When you take the neurons and the connections together, you put them, you 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 put them in a line, and you start, you know, lining them up. You can actually go to the moon and come back. That's how long it is. So we have to give our brains an opportunity to to learn and and to expand the size of the human brain. So
0: it's a workaround from the tangles and plaques that follow Alzheimer's.
1: Correct. Exactly. That is something, you know, there, there are ways you can actually, one of the things that we uh, lately, the, the, uh, the research tells us is um, clients with individuals with plaques and, and the tangles, you know, some don't even manifest the symptoms. And why is that? Now they're finding uh, the plaques and uh, tau-containing neurofibrillary tangles in a 20-year-old brain. And I always say this, just because you have wrinkles, it doesn't mean that you have, you know, you're old. Just because you have the plaques, it doesn't mean that you will manifest the symptoms. However, if we, you know, we do so much to keep ourselves healthy. You know, we work out, we exercise, we use muscle to build muscle. In a similar fashion, we have to use our neurons to build neurons. To build the connections, and how do we go about doing? If you ask any bodybuilder, on they'll say that they, you know they they follow a certain routine, they follow certain repetition. But you can't keep doing the same thing over and over. You have to change the repetition. You have to change the routine. You have to create a sense of discomfort and challenge the muscle. So how do you do that with the,
0: how do you do that with the brain?
1: With the, with the human brain, I always say you know like for example, if you do anything to do with medicine, it's easy for me to read and understand. If you throw anything to me at me uh, to do with business, I'll grasp it real quick. However, there are subjects, you know, for me to learn a language, I'll struggle. And that's when I'm actually in pain. I'm creating a some sense of discomfort. And I'm challenging my, my, my uh, brain. Hmm. And that's how you increase uh, the, 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 the surface of the brain. I mean, if you look at one of the, well, if you, uh, one of the studies shows that, uh, a study shows that, and you see this in, uh, even uh, in uh, any good Neuron Anatomy book, that a brain of the same sex, same you know age, 20 years ago, if you take the brain and you look at the same brain today, the brain today is much more bigger than what it was 20 years ago. The only reason it's bigger is because the brain, the, the brain has been challenged with everything that you and I are subjected to these days. That 20 years ago, or 30 years ago, you know, th- that was non-existent. So we do have the ability to grow our brain, to keep our brain healthy.
0: That's just amazing. And uh, we're about out of time. For folks who want to learn more, uh, I know you've got some of this on your website. uh, And and just Google Lantern Corporation and that comes up. Uh, What are you doing with the research? Are you doing double-blind studies? Are you publishing some of this?
1: We're doing a lot of outcome studies. Uh, We've been doing outcome studies for the last uh, four years. Uh, We also teach. We have students, occupational therapy students. We have uh, uh, physician assistant students that are rotating with us on a regular basis. They cool. do the clinical rotations with us. And so we are, we are soliciting and seeking their help to publish, uh, to do a little bit more research and publish papers. And so we are also in the process of publishing papers.
0: And, and where do you see this leading? What's over the rainbow for you?
1: Well, you know, personally, I have challenged myself, I'm challenging myself and I've challenged my staff that in the next five years, we have to have a treatment methodology down pat where we will be able to enable our clients to live independently at least close to independence within our setting within our facility right and we're challenging ourselves in 10 years i mean this could be a crazy goal one mm. but you got to think about being possible and that's when inventions and innovations occur we are challenging ourselves that in 10 years we'll be able to reintegrate them back into the
0: community. Wow. i got to stop you right there. It gives us a lot to think about, and we really, really appreciate the chance to talk with you, Uh, Ted McCash, who is or Gene McCash, with the Lantern Group in Chagrin Falls, Ohio. That's fascinating stuff. Thank you for the work you're doing.
1: Uh, Thank you, Ron. Thanks so much for having me.
0: You take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. It's amazing stuff going to have to share that with Carol. Oh, she can listen to the podcast. So can you. If you didn't get a chance to hear this show or you're just catching the end of it, podcasts of all of our programs are available. Uh, Just go to caregiversos.org and you will find them. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, who is on special assignment today. Up next, Take 10, right here on 930 AM, The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010.
2: Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin
0: Eikoff, Ron Aaron, Well Med Radio.
2: What a terrific ride it's been.
0: And since then and continuing, we have talked about everything.
2: We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on.
0: You name a disease and we've covered it uh, with answers for people who have it aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones.
2: Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on.
0: We are rolling right along on Caregiver SOS On Air. We shift gears and flip to take 10, which follows each of our Caregiver SOS On Air programs. I'm Ron Aaron. Joining us on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline, Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known psychotherapist, a specialist in addictions and deals with caregiving as well, and Carol Zerniel, our co-host here on Caregiver SOS On Air. And you've got a topic dealing with depression.
3: Well, this came out of the New York Times. It was a headline that caught my eye that said, depression is poorly diagnosed and often goes untreated. And we do talk about depression from time to time. We've talked about it on the past on the show, but I don't, you know, I think it's important for everyone, everyone, everyone to to understand that uh, what depression is, what it isn't, and the, you know... That how detrimental it can be if left untreated. Um, And Jamie, this is is right in the middle of of your specialty. So why is it that depression is poorly diagnosed and why does it go untreated?
4: Well, first of all, I don't want to get too deep into the psychosocial nature, the sociological issues around mental illness and shame and stigma and how it has become somewhat of a, you know, a concept that's detached from our health care. But you know, sadness is something that we all experience, Carol, and it's a normal reaction you know, to, to difficult times, and, and usually it does pass with time. I mean, we all have this sort of feeling that, you know, we have ups and downs in life, uh, but when a person has the, the per- depression, it interferes with their, their entire life, their daily functioning. Uh, it causes pain for people, and, and, you know, it's a real illness, and I think that's the most difficult thing for usually the patient, uh, certainly psychiatrists understand this and, and neurologists and good physicians that this is a, a real illness, but it, you know It's not a sign of a person's weakness or character flaw. So what we've done I think is short shrifted depression as opposed to heart conditions or kidney or endocrine, you know, or you name it infectious disease issues we've not seen it in the medical light um, and so Signs and symptoms are popping up all around us, and we, we really need to understand it better.
0: Well, speaking of understanding it, if you could give us the 411 on what is depression.
4: Well, I guess on a symptomatic place, Ron, it's, it's, let's say you're feeling sad and anxious or have an empty mood. Um, that could be a situational depression, something that when you say situational, obviously it means it's, a, it's, exa- it's exacerbated. A condition that's already there. Feelings of hopelessness, you know, pessimism, guilt, worthlessness, helplessness. When these issues, you know, continue for uh, at least two weeks or greater, and that is what we say in the DSM-5 is the the clinical criteria for assessment and evaluation. When these loss of interest and, and pleasure in life and decreased energy and sleep patterns are in the disarray, this is when we really need to go get the proper assessment an evaluation and again all too often we seem to be doing that sometimes with our with our primary care physician instead of a a well-trained psychiatrist
0: dsm-5 is what
4: well that's called the diagnostic statistical manual of psychology it's how we actually code disorders and, and clinical issues uh, much like the CPT codes, but this is how we, we describe to mostly insurance industry, if you will, and then uh, you know medical necessity in our world, psychological necessity.
3: Well, you know, depression is important for caregivers to know about because it often goes hand in hand with a chronic illness. We know that what we call comorbidity, both depression and diabetes, having depression and Alzheimer's, having depression and cancer. That depression, you know, really is uh, you know a companion of so many chronic illnesses and we treat the chronic illness. But we're not doing anything for the depression. And what the New York Times is saying is that of those, even when they diagnose depression, only about 28% of the people get any treatment at all, which means the vast majority of people aren't getting anything for their depression that goes along with everything else.
4: And that's a huge shame because depression, even the most severe cases, Carol, are, uh, is extraordinarily treatable. I mean, we've come a long way in the world of psychopharmacology in therapy and understanding the biopsychosocial nature of, of depression. Um, you know, most adults, you know, see improvement in their, system, in their symptoms when they use an antidepressant medication. It, it should not be looked at as something that alters a person's state of consciousness. Medication should be looked at as something that replaces the serotonin, which, you know, the neurotransmitter that you know, issues like, I don't get too deep into it, like GABA and norepinephrine or epinephrine in our brains. That's what the medication does, it just picks up where. Uh, our body has a
3: deficit. Well I can remember we applied for a grant to look at what just primary care physicians could do in addressing depression because it is so prevalent um, particularly in the elderly population and at WellMed we see mostly older patients Um, and the uh, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services CMS that had the grant the reviewer came back to us and said well you know that's really not interesting enough to study um, you know, we needed something that was sexy or something more interesting, some good multiple personality disorder, schizophrenia, you know, something with a good big name that you could that was really affects a small number of people. Tiny number. Uh, as opposed to the large population of people that we see that have depression. So, you know, when I when I think about it, that that's a huge problem. um, within our government that's supposedly looking out for the health care of folks, that they're not recognizing depression as something that is, you know, should be looked at more closely.
0: Hold that thought, Dr. And Jamie. Let me remind folks who've just joined us, you're listening to Take 10 on Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Dr. Jamie Heisman, Ron Aaron, and Carol Zerniel are with you. Now, Jamie.
4: No, it's sad to say, you know, hear what you're saying, which is totally true. A major depressive disorder, I think it's the most common mental disorder in the united states literally i mean and people just do not want to feel alone uh, the issues of chronic illness which you know and, and 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 how it disconnects us from society one take ten that we recently did um it, it really is it's a difficult thing to, to to not be treated not to be assessed and evaluated and and not to get the proper you know psychopharmacological remedy living with depression is overwhelming and what you said with the the issues of comorbidity, we we don't know which comes first, but we feel much more comfortable in treating the medical issue and then just leaving the psychological issue for the family, friends, if you will, and people around them to deal with.
0: Because they don't see depression as a brain disease.
4: They don't. And yet, you know, if you're really uh, strong in in what you do, and I think well met, and other, obviously, good medical delivery systems that understand that depression can put somebody right into the hospital um and and or, and, or the anxiety associated with the depression we're now looking at it closer and, and closer and and to your point carol you know you're right uh i don't know why they didn't think it was sexy enough to kind of like our, our current elections i guess that you have to do things so well over to the top to get noticed uh, but primary care doctors should be trained very extensively by psychiatrists To understand you know depression because that's going to be the first doorway somebody will go through
3: so what is it going to take to move to get rid of the stigma associated with mental illness why is it we're still you know disassociating the head with the rest of our body when it comes to physical health because obviously our brains are kind of important regard to our physical health
4: well, I hope it doesn't take the same celebrity, you know, sort of red carpet stuff where we have to come out with Ronald Reagan and Alzheimer's or Patty Duke and bipolar. I, that's extraordinarily helpful. Don't get me wrong. It normalizes in people's minds that, you know, depression is, is a part of somebody's life. Um, But I think that we really have to start doing what you're saying, the the non-sexy programs, to understand the persistency of depression in society, and especially in our senior population. I think we need to do really concerted studies uh, in primary care environments, if you will, uh, of exactly how this reduces costs, creates better quality of life for the person, and actually better quality of delivery of care. It just has to be normalized. And I think to do that, obviously, there's a lot of public service announcements that need to occur and a lot of organizations that need to get involved. Uh, The National Alliance for the Mentally Ill, I've been part of that organization for almost 35 years, is, is one great one. There's Mental Health Associations but they can't do it in their own silos. They do need other groups to bring them into the mainstream.
3: Well, on the good news front, there are medical groups like WellMed who are making depression screening part of the annual exam so that we do get a baseline. We can tell if someone's getting worse. And if somebody does score poorly, they can get referred for assistance. Got to
0: stop you both right there. Take 10 on Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. Ron Aaron along with Dr. Jamie Heisman and Carol Zornio. We appreciate you joining us. Remember, podcasts of all of our shows are available, including Take 10, which can be a standalone podcast as well. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010.
2: Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin
0: Eichoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio.
2: What a terrific ride it's been.
0: And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything.
2: We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on.
0: You name a disease, and we've covered it, uh, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones.
2: Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio?